Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome listeners to episode 98 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me tonight for this journey to Wakanda, Wakanda? Whatever the case may be, is my co-host Patrick. Hey everyone. And special guest, Prince Emmanuel Noisette of E-Man's Movie Reviews. Hello, Wakanda Forever. There we <laughs> hashtag, go, Wakanda. Be hashtag Wakanda Forever, that's what it is in these days. I, I wanted to get that it. out of the way up front. It is Wakanda, <laughs> correct? Hmm. Yeah, that is correct. That is correct. Like Anaconda? Sure. <laughs> Wakanda don't want none if you got bunts. Huh? Okay. <laughs> We're not that kind off, of podcast. Off topic. Off topic. <laughs> Way off. This past weekend, we watched as Black Panther, Marvel's latest entry into their comic book film universe, broke a number of box office records to include the biggest February opening weekend, the biggest solo superhero launch. The biggest long holiday weekend opening. The biggest opening weekend ever for a movie not directed by a white guy. The fifth largest Friday to Sunday opening of all time. And the biggest for a non-summer movie. The second largest comic book superhero opening weekend. The second largest Sunday opening ever behind only Star Wars The Force Awakens. The fourth biggest Saturday ever. And the fifth biggest opening weekend of all time, among many, many more. Tonight, we're going to talk about why this film has had such an incredible response and whether or not it is deserved. But before we do that, guys, I just want to briefly share about an experience that I had this weekend that was pretty awesome. I got to see Hamilton. Now, I'm guessing you both are aware of Hamilton. Would that be the Nods ten dollar bill all around? Yeah, I have a yes. couple of the ten dollar bills. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of Hamiltons here. Is yes, that, yes, he would be the ten dollar founding father. Okay, um, so <laughs> I'm on a roll. Job. I am on a roll. <laughs> you guys are loving it. Okay, <laughs> all right. So here's the thing: a couple of years ago, when Hamilton really kind of came into the public conscious and um, it exploded all over the place and everyone was listening to it. Everyone just discovered how amazing uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's talent was. It overtook all of social media and I fell right in line. I listened to it and I couldn't believe my ears. I was blown away by how fresh and unique the sound was and how different this story was for a musical. It was not something I was used to. I, I expected a lot of love stories, mostly with my musicals and things of that nature. Well, what happened next is that my son heard it and he is now almost 13. So he would have been around 11 at the time. And he fell head over heels for Hamilton. He listened to it nonstop, had it on repeat he could do the cabinet rap battles better than anyone I've ever heard. Didn't miss a word except for the curse words. He'd leave those out because he's a good son um, and good kid. But other than that, like he could quote this entire soundtrack. And I got really excited when I found out it was going to be coming to Seattle in a couple of years. And so we got 
season tickets to our local Broadway shows at, at this place called the Paramount Theater with the sole purpose of being able to guarantee ourselves Hamilton tickets two years down the road. So we had to buy season tickets for two years just to make sure that we would be on that list. Last night, I got to go see the show, and I got to tell you, even though I didn't have the original cast, it was absolutely worth the wait. It was one of the most joyful experiences I've ever had. And I wonder if you guys have ever experienced this. And I mean, I don't know, E-Man, Black Panther might have been like this for you from what we've talked about, where you are overcome with this feeling that you, you, you're watching something, a piece of entertainment. And I'll tell you, I had a smile on my face, but I had tears in my eyes and I didn't know why I couldn't explain it. I even, I even was, was sitting there watching this, this happen and looking to the side and seeing my son smile and just be full of happiness. And I, and I had these tears and I was like, why am I crying? Like, I, I don't understand, but I was happy and and so we use that phrase tears of joy and I, I think I truly experienced that last night. Have you guys had that happen with entertainment? Um I mean I, I had it when uh you know we were talking about <clears throat> I did a black I did an exclusive Black Panther viewing um for my local church and you know for some fans of my uh fan page. Um and I had fifty kids come out and watch Black Panther and seeing the pure, raw excitement and joy, you know, I mean, we're talking about little six-year-olds running around with the Black Panther doll, you know, and little girls that are saying that they felt inspired, you know, from seeing um, Nakia or Lupita Nyong'o or, or Shuri. Um, I mean, just, you know, and I was telling you when I was putting together the highlights of the event, and just really looking over at all the joy that everyone had and listening to the audience reactions, which it was so overwhelming that I, I, I teared up like three different times, you know, just because it was, I was able to be a part of something that was bigger than what I thought it would have been. So it was, it was amazing. I, it felt like a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, I, I wondered if that might have been the case. And that's kind of how I feel like my Hamilton experience tied in to my Black Panther experience. And it was really neat to me to be able to experience these things in the same weekend uh, because there are some similarities. And I, I got to be honest, I think between these two pieces of media, and they're, they're so good in their genres and in their style of art, but I have really discovered like a, a bleeding heart for um, diversity and representation. And, and I think part of that comes from having a, a good chunk of friends who have told me their stories and, and you know, how much it matters to them to be depicted on screen. And Hamilton is, is, you know, it's a little bit different. I mean, it's really not as much about race as it is about immigrants but that's another huge issue in the country right now. Like if Donald Trump had his way, who knows? You know, we wouldn't have a Hamilton because we'd be kicking them out <laughs> via a big wall. And so just watching it was really powerful for me. And when you put that on top of, man, guys, I, I got to tell you, this show was one of the best Broadway experiences of my life. I, it's incredible. And 
when you listen to a show, Patrick, you'll understand this for sure, like with Dear Evan Hansen, when you listen to something on repeat and you know all the lyrics and you know the story because you've listened to song after song on a, on a Broadway musical track list, you don't necessarily know what is happening physically. And so there was lots of stuff in this where characters would do something and make an action or you know, do, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but like they would, they would position themselves in a way that would enhance that audio and it would make Tyler and I'd be like, oh, that's so cool. Like when he says that, he's actually doing this because now you have a visual to go with it. And just realizing, you know, sometimes there would be uh, someone singing or speaking that I didn't realize what character it was from just listening to the music. I couldn't necessarily pick that distinction out, but when I saw it in person, it was very clear. And I was like, oh, that makes more sense because that character is the one that's saying those words. And it was, man, it was just absolutely awesome. And I loved it. And I hope that everyone eventually gets a chance to go and see Hamilton. Uh, It lives up to the hype uh, by far uh, for me. All right. Well, with that out of the way, it's time to get to the main event, Black Panther. We are a spoiler podcast, so we will be talking about this in depth right off the bat. We're not going to hold back. Um, we're going to talk about the ending and who lives, who dies. We're going to make predictions probably for the future and just go all out. So if you haven't seen this film yet, I'm a little surprised because based on the box office numbers, odds are you have. <laughs> uh, if you haven't, seriously, go see this movie. We all Highly recommend it. That's the last spoiler warning you're going to get. E-Man, we always start off with this thing called a one-word takeaway, where we like to try and condense our opening thoughts or frame them around one specific idea or feeling that we had for the movie. So I'm going to ask you to start us off and uh, share kind of what your initial reaction was to Black Panther. Um. One word, huh? That's all I get. <laughs> um, it, You're gonna get a lot more, I promise. But just, okay. just for now, for now, yeah, we're... <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, the one word would have to be Obama. What? Obama, as in President <laughs> Obama. He wasn't in this movie. He was not. But the spirit <laughs> was there. He wasn't the in the. Uh, you know, he wasn't in the uh, extra the in credits at all. I don't... You know what? He could have been sitting in. the He UN might have been in the UN meeting. I don't know. That's <laughs> So why Obama? Okay, so how does that inform your, your yeah. first reaction? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, in my review, what I call this is like the Obama effect, right? And it's kind of like, you know, when they say that you don't know what you've got until it's missing. It, you know, it's kind of like the inverse of that was true with this movie. You know, we never knew how much we were missing this level of representation until w- this film became a reality. And it's kind of the same thing with President Obama. I don't know about you guys, but I never imagined that we could have a black president. Just and no one I know ever thought of that either. Right. But it wasn't until, you know, he started picking up steam and winning elections. And all of a sudden he's like neck and neck. And oh, my gosh, he's getting inaugurated. This is actually happening. It was a mind blowing experience and a culturally impactful one. And it's the very same thing that I think is happening with Black Panther to the point where, you know, people are like really realizing, like, wait a minute, you have an entirely black cast. Um, the the production crew from director, writer, and producer are also black. 
And this money, this this movie is coming in on a Star Wars budget. You know, like it's a big it's a big deal. I can't recall a minority led film and produced that had that level of expectation because with a lot of money, you know, comes a lot of expectations. And, you know, this film ended up being unapologetically black while not being confrontational to non people of color at the same time. And to me, I think that's unprecedented. So just like President Obama, <laughs> you know, this movie is like Obama. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't Patrick, good luck, but you get to go next. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one more takeaway that I pulled from this was independent. And, you know, we're 10 years into the Marvel Studios machine, and it's proven that their films work despite the various kinds of challenges that they face. You know, you kick it off with Iron Man, it starts getting a lot of steam, and then all of a sudden we're into your second-tier characters, Guardians of the Galaxy, that's a runaway hit. And then you get into Ant-Man, these, these smaller properties that at the beginning of all this, we, would ex- we wouldn't think, wow, where are these coming from? And so then here comes Black Panther, and Black Panther comes at a moment, at a, at, a, at a time, that is both culturally relevant, it's at the height of a superhero, uh, I guess, renaissance. I don't know if it's a renaissance, since I don't know if we had an old, you know, an old time where superhero movies were, were dominating. But I don't know that it would be nearly as successful early on, like early in the game, because as an audience... I don't know that we'd be ready for something like Black Panther 10 years ago. I, I, I don't believe I would have. And, and not from a racial standpoint, but just because that would have been completely taboo. You come right out of the gate as a studio and say, here's Black Panther. And I'm like, okay, well, you still got Iron Man. You still got Captain. You got all these other characters to, to bring in. Why, why do this? And so Marvel Studios really set the foundation. But here's where I think Black Panther kind of elevates itself. And that's in the quality of execution. <clears throat> particularly in the story. Um, I was I was reminded of, um, you guys familiar with David Crowder, a musician in the, in the Christian industry. He wrote a book a while back uh, called Praise Habit. And one of the things he talks about is if you're going to make music that glorifies God, don't make it crappy. <laughs> if you're going to tell stories that center around Christ, don't make them bad. And I think that's the issue that we have with some of the faith-based movie studios is they want to elevate a big idea, but the execution is just not there. And when I look at a movie like Black Panther, there's the opportunity to do what I think a lot of people wanted to do, which is elevate the quality of, of people of color and to spotlight the beauty of people of color. But without a great story, without something that leaves you feeling like – man, that was just really enjoyable, it would have felt kind of like a piece of propaganda or something that felt very cheap. And so walking out of the theater, I go, man, that hit on all cylinders from a social standpoint, but it was equally just as good when it comes to a story. And it it it, it stands equal to, if not better than, a lot of the films that have come out uh from Marvel Studios. It it represents well the quality that Marvel Studios has said this is what we're going to do. It didn't feel cheap, it didn't feel like a like a, like a pot shot. It's like, "Hey, we need to have this because this is the kind of cultural climate that we're in." No, it was good. 
And I think when you have an idea that is able to balance both what uh, Kugler and company did in terms of the cultural relevance and, 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 and kind of wrap that up in a fantastic story, that to me is a successful film because you're hitting on all cylinders. You're doing exactly what, at least from my interpretation, you set out to do, which was tell a great story and present a great message with, you know, like what you were saying, Eman, that doesn't, it's not heavy handed. It's an incredibly uh, digestible message that leaves you going, man, I, I want to think about that some more. And at the same time, that was awesome. You know, so you don't get that a lot in movies. You either get one or the other, either high budget popcorn fare or deeply um, thinking um, ethical movies or whatever, which I'm a fan of both. But when you combine both of those, that kind of blows my mind because I'm like, I didn't think you could, you could do this, but you did. And, and I think that's why I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, the Oscar winning Best Picture uh, director Barry Jenkins actually tweeted out something very, very similar after he saw the movie this weekend. And he said that, you know, Ryan Coogler had made two separate incredible films and they just both happened to be happening at the same time. Uh, and so that's exactly what you were saying, Patrick. So you and Barry Jenkins saw this movie the same way, I would say. That means that you're on your way to being an Oscar winning director, too. Right? Transitive <laughs> I'll property. I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, um, Eman, you mentioned my one word takeaway, and that was black. Uh, my, <laughs> my takeaway is this movie was unapologetically black, and that could have been something that was a turnoff to a large part of the population. And to, to what both of you guys have mentioned, I think the success in this film is that it's done so in a way that was inclusive and not exclusive. Um, because it could be done when we are trying to um, work on diversity. We're trying to ensure that films like these include people of color, people with different nationalities, people of different sexual orientations, whatever the case may be, we can go so far on a scale of that that we exclude the existence of everything other than that thing. And then it becomes just a vehicle that is only for those people. Where Black Panther succeeded, in my opinion, is not at all doing that, um, but doing kind of the opposite to where it drew me in in a huge way. So I grew up never lacking for people who looked and sounded like me. I had heroes to root for on the big screen, and I got to have this conversation with my kids after the movie and explain to them that that's why this is so important. I asked them, I said, you know, who are some of your heroes that, that you love? And they started naming, you know, a, a good chunk of them, and a lot of them were white. A lot of them were, were people that looked like them and that were mostly that they could think about as, you know, these are people like you. And so I said, well, that's, that's, the, that's why this matters because we see pictures of kids, um, you know, in front of a poster of a Black Panther outside the movie theater saying things like, that's, that's me, you know, like I want to be that guy. And that's not something we've gotten to see in the past. And so when I see particularly kids get excited about a movie and get inspired use the word inspired i don't remember if it was online or offline before we started e-man but talking about how kids have come up to you and said that they were inspired that is powerful powerful stuff and the way that this movie blends african 
actual African culture with current African-American culture, and it doesn't avoid the flaws. It it mentions them. It brings them up. It talks about them all with such a great subtlety without that heavy handedness. It, it becomes this very important thing that tells us and shows us that yes, representation matters, but like you guys have said, it's all in that package, that awesome, fun, exciting superhero package. And I loved it. I, it was the, the first superhero movie since BVS that I have immediately wanted to go back and see multiple times on opening weekend. And for a guy that's had superhero fatigue, I'm shocked because I thought, hey, this is Ryan Coogler, and in Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, I definitely trust. I expect this movie to be good. I did not expect this movie to be great, and I felt like it was great. So, yeah, and it, and it was great because of its blackness. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I loved it. Um, and onward. All right, we've talked some about this representation matter. And I want to kind of discuss that right off the bat. I just want to get into that because there is a chunk of this film that, or half of this film, Patrick, that is really trying to say some things about our culture and about lives of um, a, a certain group of people. And so my question is, um, for you guys, like, is there one topic or one thing that you think the writers were trying to address one kind of uh, to steal something maybe from our friend Don Shanahan at every movie has a lesson. Is there one lesson that we should be taking away from this film with regards to um, its depiction of African-American struggles? I mean, one lesson, there are a ton of lessons and I'm sure Don would agree with that as well. Um, I think that what this does is it projects it projects this lesson of unity within the black community, um, but it does so by straddling, I would say, upliftment or empowerment and struggle. You know, so like Killmonger throughout this movie, he's, I mean, he has the same goal as Nakia. You know, as as um, the other characters that are like, yeah, we we should all be going out to help, you know, other people of color around the world because we have those resources. But he's coming from a place of struggle. He's coming from a place where he grew up in, you know, without his father. He grew up um, in California, which was very significant at that time. That was around the Rodney King beating. So, um, you know, he's smack dab in the whole like when racism is at its thickest point and, you know, he was already getting kind of radicalized, you know, with the black Panther movement from his father. Um, and then you have the other side of it where you have Nakia who's a spy, but she's going out and helping people. She's seeing, you know, people being like trafficked and, and, you know, just being dead poor and, you know, just coming from like a more empathetic uh, perspective um, and yeah, this, this, to me, the, the message that evoked is just like, if you have the ability to help and unite, do it. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the overarching theme of unity and motive also comes to light. And, and those two characters are clear examples of, 
I won't say a product of their circumstances, although it does play a part, but there's a sense of, there's a sense of ownership that each character, both, both these characters take, but it's in response to their environment and, and kind of what they've been influenced by in terms of a lack of something versus an abundance of something. And it makes a lot of sense for someone who says, I didn't have, therefore when I'm going to take hold, I'm going to be able to use and use to the utmost as opposed to someone who said, I have all these resources and I'm going to be able to use them in in a way that, that makes a more altruistic sense. I mean, I get both of those sides. I get the, I get the, I'm going to hold on to this because I have never had it versus the, I've always had this. So I need to find a way to use it and not hold on to it. And it's, it's a really interesting dichotomy because we get all of this within the confines of essentially one culture, the, the Wakandan culture, although one is represented stateside and one's represented within the city. But I think there's a sense of understanding what it is about being a part of something and how that influences what you do with everything else. So it does matter where you come from because, but it ultimately comes down to the decision that you make as a result of that. Like when you receive resources, when you're able to grasp those things that can either help or hurt, what choice can you make? And we have a clear distinction between two individuals that for whatever reasons, I mean, and the movie kind of explores that in indirect ways, they decide to go one way or the other, you know, power versus versus altruism. How do we use that? And but I definitely saw the sense of, of unity that that existed, particularly between the four of the five tribes <laughs> and how that was set up early on and the sense of valuing the kingdom to an extent. I saw just pockets of this sense of what are we actually representing? What are we fighting for? What are we a part of? And, and does it matter? Is it worth being a part of this? So that was a big question that I think I took away from it was this question of we are a part of X. Is that a good thing to be a part of? And should we represent it? And how, to what extent should we fight for it? Whatever that is. Yeah, that <clears throat> that kind of ties into what I was going to talk about. And it's a little bit of what I think Cougar is using to make somewhat of a political statement here and it it's identified really in a in a moment where Okoye and Nakia are talking right after Eric has taken the throne and Nakia is trying to rally the troops to overthrow him immediately like that's what she wants to do she's like okay well that happened he just killed T'Challa so let's let's get him out and Okoye's like no I serve the throne and Nakia's response is like what (laughs) <laughs> and Okoye says, I am, I think she says something like, I am not just, she kind of is a dig. She's like, I'm not just a spy who can blow with the wind as I so choose. I have become loyal. I've, I've pledged my allegiance to this thing. And I am going to stay loyal to that no matter what. Even if I don't necessarily believe in those ideals at the moment. And Nakia comes back with a great line and she says, I don't serve the throne, I save the throne. And it's like a mic drop moment, right? And I think it's a wonderful depiction of two people that also kind of like Killmonger and T'Challa. They both have similar goals in mind, but it's a difference in how do we go about doing that. And I love that moment 
Um, and I love that that lesson that we're taking away from that because we do live in a time where this is a this is a potential issue. You know, there comes a moment where we don't necessarily serve America. We want to save America, right? We want to we don't want to serve our country. We want to save our country, and we don't always do that by being blindly loyal to the leaders that are in charge of us just because they're a leader in charge of us. Even if it was an election, even if it was a tribal battle that was won fairly, that doesn't necessarily mean we should just automatically give our support to that cause. Uh, this also was an almost connecting point tie-in because it has a great line at the end where Okoye kind of comes around in a different way and she actually is being loyal to T'Challa and the throne, but it's a positive. And I think that that man is one of the, one of the coolest things about this movie to me is how Coogler did that over and over and over. We got this scene where Okoye being loyal to the throne is given to us in a bad light. It's like, we don't want her to do that. We don't want her to be on Killmonger's side. But then at the end, she's standing there and Wafabi is right in front of her and she, he says, would you kill me, my love? And she just puts her spear right in his face. And she says, for Wakanda, yes. And she's she's doing the same thing. Like, she's literally making the same statement. But the difference is that in this moment, it's a positive. Like, we agree with her actions, right? Because now she's supporting the right side as we see it, or the positive throne, um, the positive leader. So I just love that about this movie. That was one of the things that stuck out to me. Um, just one thing, actually, right before then, she made that transition earlier when she was emphasizing the fact that T'Challa had never yielded or was killed. And it was at that point, that was her turning point, where she was like, hey, look, I might be serving the throne, but you're going against the ritual tradition. You know, so technically she was serving the right king at that moment because he never lost so it's very very true yeah it is very true yeah it's well it's well put together for sure absolutely um so i wondered what you guys thought about the portrayal of african-american culture um in general and and things like one of the things that stuck out to me the most was eric's upbringing we see him and he's abandoned and i feel like this is very indicative of a real problem we have in society with black children and and black boys, especially growing up fatherless, whether their fathers have been incarcerated or killed. There is a, there's a level of poverty that is associated with this culture. And I thought that that's what Kugler was trying to show us Um, because here we have a cycle that kind of gets created where this child is now without anyone to guide him and take care of him. And of course, what's he going to do? He's going to fall into those things around him, that neighborhood full of drugs and guns that um, Sterling K. Brown was talking about uh, in the very opening of the film. Did you feel like this was a, an accurate representation of that? You, you mean like in real life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that what Kugler was trying to do? Uh, I don't think it's an accurate portrayal because I think he... Kugler especially, he's done a better job at showing that, you know, the real life situation, I would say like in Fruitvale Station um, or in 
maybe even in Creed, but um, I think what he did more effectively was just show the after effects of, you know, fatherlessness, you know, or just um, no parents at all, because we really didn't hear anything about the mother either. Um, You know, so at the end of the day, the streets, you know, really ended up raising Killmonger uh, more than anything. Um, and, and, And by the way, that goes both ways that goes also on his actual father Sterling K Brown's character and on T'Chaka you know T'Challa's father for not taking him back because had he just done that you know this probably wouldn't have gone as bad as it went so um I think it's just the after effects of like when there's no love there there's no nurturing at all um you know we we can make some really poor decisions and sterling k brown's character actually emoted that when they had their reunion and he was like what no hug for me you know and i thought that was really powerful because it was at that moment that brown's character was like whoa i really messed up here you know i've been radicalizing you and doing this rather than being present with you even while I was with you for that short amount of time. So, um, is it a typical portrayal? Not really. I don't think it's a typical representation, but I do think that it's a possible um, depiction of what what kind of effects happen when, you know, parents are just not there and the love is gone. Well, and I think what this does for the movie is for, for, for Killmonger, for, for that character it rounds him out as a character. He's not just a character bent on revenge. Like he has, there's a groundedness to why he is the way he is. And it's something that I think, even if it's a tertiary vantage point, we sort of understand why he is the way he is. He's not a flat villain who says, I want to take over the world or I want to take, take down the world. His motives are legitimate because of what we understand about his humanity because that's what I think that's what Cooler does well is those effects are what we understand more than the accurate depiction. Like we get we we don't we see him as a kid and then we see him as Michael B. Jordan and we don't question why he is the way he is because we make those assumptions. We make that we connect those points. And even if we don't dive into the details of well it could have been this moment in his life or these several moments and he could have just you know what about other family members? you know those types of things we don't need that because part of part of the duality of the story that Kugler is telling is I need to create a villain but I need to create a villain that's sympathetic because that's again I'm speaking for a director I have no idea but if it's me and I'm trying to create a character I want someone who has the ability to be empathized with someone that I can connect with and my audience can say, look, he's got as much of a right to be on that throne as T'Challa. That's what I thought was really interesting was that whole turn, that whole decision that T'Chaka chose not to bring him back. That created a huge level of depth for Jordan's character. Killmonger became more than just the, the baddie in the movie at that moment for me, he was like, wow, that is someone that in that moment I can go, yep, you deserve it. You at least deserve a shot. And so that second confrontation, that, that challenge, 
I didn't know who to really who to really root for in that moment. I was like, because they both have legitimate reasons, and I love that conflict. I think Kugler and company were really trying to create that tension for us as an audience. They didn't want us to say, okay, who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? Because there's really not. I mean, he's really trying to I, – I feel like he's really creating a sense of gray that is uh, that is something we don't see a lot, particularly in Marvel movies. We typically get your, oh, he's clearly the bad guy. Oh, he's clearly the good guy. And that's something that I think is a critic, uh, a criticism of Marvel movies, which you know, Black Panther kind of shuts that down because now we get a villain that we can actually connect with who has some roundedness to him and who's, uh, who's incredibly approachable from an from a audience point of view. See, now I see that a little differently. And okay. I think for me, I definitely I definitely empathize with Eric's character. Um, I think that that is intentional for Kugler. But what I see it as is I, I don't see us as having a strong choice between those two, T'Challa and Eric, because to, Eric is, is a murderer. I mean, he, he, is a, he is a vile person who has killed to get where he is and is willing to continue doing that. Now, is he worthy or is, I guess, is it deserved for him to be there? Yes. But does that make the means in which he goes about getting there something we write off? I don't believe so. And I I really, for me, I took away that this was more about the world that is around Eric that exists that creates him so i feel like he's meant to be that villain he is meant to be bad we are not supposed to want him to win because he is a murderer i mean he's got the scars to prove it but it's more about we need to think about what we're doing to create these people in real life because it's that child that we ignore it's that child that we don't help on the street or whatever the case may be that ends up leading to potentially this type of character. That, that was, that was more how I read it. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, what I, what I tried to, you know, characterize, uh, Killmonger's character as is he's like the personification of a riot. And if we look at, you know, what Dr. King says about riots, you know, it's basically the voice of the people that are unheard, you know? And I think, for, for Killmonger, he's the byproduct of, you know, not being heard, of being oppressed, of seeing other people's oppression. And yet, yeah, all those external situations feed into who he is. And, you know, it's sad because it, you know, radicalized him. And yeah, his means are obviously not, you know, the best way from a moral standpoint. But, you know, the question, like, if I were to put Killmonger's, you know, Killmonger's hat on or whatever, you know, everything he would say is like, well, it was done to me first, you know, and that's where it's kind of like, how do we really have that argument in terms of, yeah, we could take the higher road and just say, okay, this whole eye for an eye thing is not right. And that, that, that goes back to what you were saying, Aaron, about like, we do need to look at all those ex, you know external factors that cause it but from his perspective it's like you know like he said these things in the movie you know like oh well this was stolen but how do you think you know your and your people took it from us first and you know so he's he's kind of like on this 
I don't know, like this vindictive, you know, road. And I think that makes him a little more compelling. And, you know, Patrick, just kind of like what you were saying earlier, one thing that about the Marvel villains prior to uh, Killmonger, I actually really related to Baron Zemo from uh, Civil War. I thought he was incredibly relatable and I thought he was actually one of the better Marvel villains because I'm sorry if you go out and do something and kill my entire family, I might obsess over one little file for a couple of years as well and plot your demise. You know, I mean, like it's it's you know, it's entirely understandable. It might not be commendable, but it's you get it, you know, so absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, And I would agree with that. I think Civil War came came close i think i think not to talk about civil war in depth but i think where it derailed for me was that it civil war it, it didn't give me enough of him whereas i feel like black panther from the very beginning we get a we get a villain that we clearly are set up to hate but to me i responded to a shred of redemption by the end of the film for him like the battle between him and black panther yes i wanted black panther to win i mean it's just kind of ingrained the movie is not called Killmonger. It's called Black Panther. And we know that T'Challa, there's nothing about this movie that says, oh, I'm not looking for a twist where T'Challa is going to be killed. I didn't ever expect that. But we get so much of this 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 character development, more of his screen time. I, I feel like he gets more screen time than, than, um, than our villain in, in Civil War because – and because of that, I think I became I, I get more connected to him. The end result is not something I'm going to cry over by any means, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't know that I've ever seen that in a movie where, by the third act, I'm like, okay, so good guy's going to beat bad guy, and I'm going to walk away feeling like, yep, that's exactly what was supposed to happen. There were stakes there. There were there were some minor stakes in that. And Aaron, you and I talk about that. That one of the biggest issues we have with superhero movies is that nobody dies. There's not really anything that feels like, oh my gosh, is there going to be sacrifice? Which is kind of why we're looking forward to Infinity War because we know that there's going to be some sacrifices. Not that we're (laughs) that we have a death vendetta. We're terrible people, and we just want all the superheroes to die. (laughs) But but there's there's a sense that in Black Panther we have. We have a minor amount of stakes. Like I didn't really know what kind of stakes, you know, the the demise of 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 Killmonger was going to be. I don't know if I was satisfied with it or not, but it didn't feel it didn't feel formulaic to me. It felt like it mattered. It felt like that battle felt like it mattered. It didn't feel like it was just spectacle as opposed to Marvel movies in the past or even DC movies in the past. It just it, it didn't feel flat to me. And I think it was because we have this layered character that we've. We grown we, we grow to understand even if we don't agree with even if, I love that analogy that you said he's like he's a personified riot and there's a lot about a riot that I don't like but at the heart of it there's some injustice that's being felt and I have to be able to connect to that because I have to understand that worldview if I'm going to be a person that helps that situation otherwise it's just going to be that personified. Right. It's just going to be, oh, those are bad people who are destroying things, and uh, I'm just going to stay away. I mean, that that that's stupid. It's maybe safe, but it's it's very stupid because then it keeps me in my, my comfort zone. And I'm not able to have any shred of help. And I feel like with, with Killmonger, we get a touch of that saying, hey, there's some redemption that could be there. 
how do we how do we get in there? Can can he be can he be turned? I mean, that was a question I had. Can he be turned? So since you're there, we're just going to keep talking about him and go there to the ending for a second, because that's probably one of the most divisive pieces of this movie for me. And it's it's not because I feel like the wrong choice was made. Sometimes I disagree with the way that a movie depicts a specific plot point. I wanted redemption for Eric big time. Like I wanted that moment when T'Challa again shows him mercy, which he's done multiple times throughout this film was a big thing for me. I really picked up on that. And I loved that. I mean, he exemplifies a King T'Challa has those qualities, but when he pulls Killmonger out and shows him the Vista of Wakanda and he offers him kind of a, a, a hope. And I, I really wanted him to take that. I wanted to see what he could be. But at the same time, not getting my wish fulfilled, I felt like his decision was accurate to his character. I felt like it was exactly what he probably would have done. He was that radicalized. He was that warped at this point. He was that shaped that that's how he was going to react. And frankly, the the last line that he utters is one of the strongest ones in the entire film because of the context that he says it in. Um, that was rough to hear uh, when he, when he talks about, I would, my, my, my uh, descendants chose, or my ancestors chose bury, death. Bury me, bury me in the sea with my bury ancestors because they realized that death was better than living in bondage. in bondage. Yep. And that, and I felt like that was his character. And so that's the choice he would make. But that's when, Patrick, I had that empathy for him. And I was like, okay, now I I feel like you can be turned. And I feel like there's there's a potential for redemption here. Um, and we can we can work with you and you can do good things. And I would love to see that. And, just to, and this ended realistically where that's not always the result that happens in real life. It's more often going to be kind of like this sometimes. And that was sad. But also moving. I also really like the way in which Killmonger is kind of comparatively shown against claw in this movie. And I don't know how you guys felt about claw. So I'm curious. Um, I really love him as a villain. I think that I wouldn't love him if he was the only villain I had, but the fact that we have him set up as our villain and he is just this normal, routine, power-hungry, money-hungry villain that really doesn't have anything other than, you know, stuff that he wants as motivation. And then we get – I think it elevates Killmonger's cause and the fact that he's a villain with a, a, a reasons for what he's doing. Did you guys – feel like it worked really well to have the two of them or did you i've seen some talk on facebook some people who who thought that um, one or the other was unnecessary and i didn't agree with that um i wouldn't say that claw was unnecessary i thought he was just a necessary plot device um you know because killmonger needed him um to as leverage you know to get that, that was his ticket to wakanda he didn't need him to uh show him where Wakanda was because he found that out in his father's notes. Um, he just knew that with his knowledge of being a CIA 
you know, aging and all that stuff, um, he knew that, oh, okay, your country has been looking for this man for 30 years, and I'm pretty sure if I go ahead and bring him in, some people are going to be very welcoming of that, and it's going to cause a divide. It's going to cause some issues. So, um, you know, whether it was Claw or any other person, I would have been fine. I I really wouldn't have cared. I think the movie would have lacked more if Killmonger was not in there versus if we took Claw out. So even though Claw is a mainstay villain in the comics for Black Panther and all that, um, and I liked Andy Serkis' performance. I just didn't, it, you know, it didn't leave me with very much. So when his demise came, it was kind of like, okay, well, good. moving on. Yeah. As one of two Tolkien white guys in the movie, I'm going to go ahead and just say that joke because it's one of the funniest <laughs> one. But um, I, first of all, if you've listened to the show enough, you know that Aaron and I both love Andy Serkis. He's just fantastic in... I think that my theory, again, is is just that. I feel like Kugler used him as a means to an end, just like what you were talking about, that he he helped push the story along. But in some ways, I felt like he used him as as a decoy to get us to uh, to get us to Killmonger because his character, for all intents and purposes, was pretty flat. He was the the mustache twirling, yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, it. you, you just kind of, you're going to hate him from the very beginning because he's just that guy. Like, he doesn't have an arc. And I think that works for me because of the fact that what worked for me more than anything was his instant demise. It wasn't drawn out. It wasn't cliche. It didn't feel like, oh, this is how we're going to kill off a, a villain. No, it was just like, boom, okay. And to me, I felt like that was sort of meta. Like, this is kind of what I think of the, the villains that we've seen in a lot of movies. You know, let's just kill them off because I'm the more important one anyway. And I may be way off and maybe I'm the only person in the in the world or the country that, that you know, sees it that way. But I enjoyed his performance quite a bit. Uh, but I didn't care about him. And, and I was okay with not caring about him because I don't feel like we were meant to. And so I felt like he was – I felt like he was used – exactly as he was supposed to as a means to an end to get us into the world of of killmonger and and that was just fine i feel i I think if he stayed uh if he was not killed off he would have been a distraction for me agreed agreed with both of you i totally think you're both on the exact right track and that's a really cool thought that i had not had patrick about the meta idea of kind of killing him off as a symbolic thing for how we've had some comic book villains in the past. I think that's pretty, pretty neat way to look at it. All right, E-Man, you had talked a lot, uh, a lot about this movie out there at uh, your website, E-Man's movie reviews, and you've done videos and you're posting like mad on social media. I don't know if you're getting any sleep or not, because you seem to just be talking about black Panther. Yeah, no, no sleep. No sleep. You use, you use this word that I actually don't know the definition of. Um, and it was diaspora. So I'm oh. curious if you could tell us some about your thoughts on this and w- what is that? What, what what you got going on there? Oh, so the diaspora is really just more so of um, that's just more so in in it, it it's usually used with um, with Jews living outside of Israel, right? So in a similar sense, it's applicable to African Americans who are living outside of Africa. So it's more so a reference to African-Americans. 
um, more so than anything. So, you know, when when um, one of the things I enjoyed about this movie is that it took hold of this in-house tension and conversation that happens between African-Americans and actual Africans. Um, you know, there's just this perception of, oh, well, you know, those Africans, they, you know, they're whatever, whatever. And maybe when you go to Africa, they're looking at African-Americans like, oh, you know, they're all spoiled Africans and they don't know their culture and this, this and this. So there's there's this tension between the two. And what I loved about this movie was the fact that Killmonger came as almost like a diplomat, you know, um, coming from both walks of life. Like, yeah, I, I, I am a descendant, but I did grow up here. And that's one of the reasons why his father was saying, like, they're going to consider you as lost, you know, even though I'm trying to tell you, like, yeah, you're really Wakandan and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that has not been done in film, to my knowledge, at all. You know, that's something that, you know, we'll have these conversations at the barbershops, at, you know, in personal settings and, and things of that nature. But to have that conversation and that level of tension put on screen, I thought that was just amazing. Yeah, I, I looked at that in, in a way that... <laughs> I think it, it's one of my favorite conversations is between between Killmonger and um, and uh, Sterling K. Brown's character. It's it, uh, it, is it uh, Njobu, I think is his name, and it's it's during his it's during I guess his uh, hypnosis or his trance, and he he makes that comment. He says they're gonna you know he he's told they're gonna consider you lost. So well maybe it's them that's lost. And in that moment, I was thinking, followed up by that next scene, I remember thinking, he's really bringing the wider lens here. Because one of the big issues in this plot, one of the big issues within the story, is the fact that Wakanda's hidden. Like, it is it is isolated, and intentionally so. Uh, there's a there's this, this sense of um, just this isolation that it doesn't want to participate, at least not publicly, in the affairs of the rest of the world. And within that, within that, that culture, it's perceived as being, you know, we're trying to protect our culture when to Killmonger, it's no, you're hoarding all the resources that could make the world better. Now, of course, him being the extremist, he takes it one step further and says, and now we're going to conquer the rest of the world with it because that's what we deserve. We deserve this. And of course, that creates some great tension between him and T'Challa that leads to the uh, what what I think is kind of a, it's a great um, it's a great uh, in credits scene, but I think it should have been part of the film personally. I think it was a it's a nice way to wrap it up, and uh, it, it creates this idea that you we're getting to the place where if you have the resources, share them with the with the people around you that are less fortunate and and that need those things. But I really do think he had the the wider lens because he saw what it was like in the rest of the world, or at least in the part of the world that he was in obviously he didn't have the whole scope of it from the entire planet but he now saw both whereas t'challa and and his crew they just saw it from a wakandan point of view and what the world could do to them and so in a lot of ways that that increased my sympathy for him because i'm going yeah look you don't know what's going on you don't see outside your world outside your 
uh, vibranium-filled city of resources. And instead, we need to have this. So that conversation that he, he brought in, as aggressive as it was, was probably justified. It was something that I think that that council needed to hear. And even if I didn't agree with it from a from a moral standpoint, the way he did it, I think what he said was was accurate. And it needed to be said, and I think it really helped push the push the story along. Yeah, and and possibly changes the way that Wakanda is going to act and and it's going to engage in the world going forward, right? It com- I mean, without this event taking place, Wakanda stays the same. T'Challa doesn't bring them into the UN and does not offer resources to the world, uh, and and I think. This is obviously it's an important action, and and it shows us sometimes that sometimes revol- revolutions and and uprisings have their awful parts about them, but they can result in a new direction that is an appropriate one and a right one. There's somebody else that I think is a key cog in that, and she is a piece of the thing that I loved about this film, maybe the most. It's weird for me to even I don't know. The black women in this movie, the actresses that are in this film, okay, blew me away. I just thought they were amazing. I I loved their characters. And one of the things about this film for me was that it was really, it, it came off like an ensemble cast where every single performance was just stunning. But a couple that stuck out and the one that kind of ties into this idea of pushing Wakanda forward out into the world, much like what Eric was wanting is Shuri, um, this, this sister. And, and I don't know how old she is. I feel like she must be kind of a, an older teenager. I think she's supposed to be 16. Perfect. That's exactly how I saw her, but she is so smart. She is so wise. She has one of my favorite lines in the entire movie when she tells T'Challa, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be approved. I actually thought that was also meta, Patrick. Uh, I thought that was like a Coogler kind of, ha ha, guess what? Marvel movies are great already, but I'm going to make a better one. But she's a teenager, and I feel like she's this great mixture of someone who has grown up with both the tech and the science and the resources of Wakanda – but she also has some knowledge of outside culture, clearly probably because of social media, because she's got like this idea, you know, she makes the Back to the Future reference with sneakers and she has an understanding of some of the world because she wants to go out and she wants to engage with that. And so I love her character because I feel like she's just a perfect little crossover and she kind of pushes him forward and she's kind of a little bit unstable as far as like she's reckless um, to a, to an extent. But man, does she have great ideals about her? So I loved her character. And then I also love Okoye. Just I I mean, my heart like completely fell um, for her name is Denai something. Uh, Guerrero. There we go. I think she played uh, Michonne Michonne on Walking Dead. Michonne. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and she is just phenomenal. I think she steals every single scene she is in, whether she is being the badass warrior or having an emotional moment with Wafabi or with T'Challa. I just I thought she exemplified the strong female character that 
we're always kind of clamoring we don't have enough of. Like, to be honest with you, if I was going to put them side by side, like, I would say Okoye is my Wonder Woman. Like, I, I really felt that strongly about this character. I loved I loved everything about her. She was a friend to Chichala, but also a servant to a king all at the same time. And I just think that her performance really brought all of that out. How do you guys feel about the women? I mean, I loved them. <laughs> you know, like, um, I loved how intentional they were with their representation. Um, just kind of listening to uh, Kugler in some interviews and stuff, um, they really wanted to emphasize, and this is actually really important because, you know, we we talk about, and it's crazy how there are levels to this, we talk about how representation matters, and yeah, okay, we've got a black cast, that's awesome, but one of the things that's deeper than that is colorism, you know, that's another level to this stuff that doesn't really get addressed, it's, it's that elephant in the room, <laughs> Even when you're trying to be diverse, you know, we end up getting someone that looks biracial, like Beyonce, or, you know, just fair, lighter skinned, and it's kind of like, hey, look, we did it, we checked that box off, and there you go. But this this movie was very intentional in showing black beauty, like dark-skinned black women being beautiful in their own natural hair, no extensions, weaves, and all that stuff, being bald even. Um, and not only just being beautiful, but like being independent, um, be, and, 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 you know, being fierce, being like strong willed, like, you know, wh- the, what I absolutely loved was that, and this probably is more of a testament to their acting ability, the supporting cast, especially the women in this movie were so strong. I barely missed the lead actor. I barely missed T'Challa. And that's not to say that, you know, Bozeman did a bad job. It was just that they literally supported this movie to the point where if he was off taking, I don't know, doing a <laughs> coffee break or something, I didn't I didn't miss him. It didn't matter. So I, I think that was a true testament to uh, their ability and just what they put forth. I mean, like you mentioned, Shuri was awesome. I loved her. I mean, and, and for the record, they've already stated she's smarter than Tony Stark. So I am ecstatic about that because that's also true in the comics too um you know and it's just it's just phenomenal i love what they're doing with this because it was just so intentional and it worked and the word intentional i think is well it's intentional (laughs) and the the thing that makes it even better is it was intentional with purpose because as you mentioned, E-Man, you could throw a bunch of people of color in this movie and get your representation. You could throw some folks that have alternative lifestyles in the movie just to say you have that representation. I mean, you can do whatever you want as a creative team, but every person mattered to the story. They were never – I mean, I'm going to say the word – they were not tokens. They were not put in because they needed to be there for visual representation. They all had moments. They had not necessarily arcs, but they all had pieces apart to play in this film to make it better, to make it what it was. I think if you didn't have Shuri, if you didn't have Okoye, you'd have less of a movie. Equally as much as if you didn't have a Killmonger or didn't have a T'Challa, you'd have less of a movie because all these, all these characters contributed <clears throat> to it. And when you couple that with the fact that these women weren't created they weren't created as characters to be strong they were strong 
uh, when I saw Shuri for the first time, I fell in love with her because she reminded me of, of I think it's Q from James Bond. Like, yep. <laughs> when, and and I love that because I always loved his character. And so to see this kind of uh, high octane teenage, incredibly smart but incredibly kind of unbridled character that's able to poke fun at our main to, to give him kind of his uh, to throw digs at him and things like that it created levity which i think marvel is obviously known for but it wasn't so heavy-handed that we felt like oh she's going to be there for comic relief no she was not she had a part to play she had a part to play dramatically she had a part to play uh humorously and uh okoya was equally just that equally that much more because she was strong portrayed as a warrior but she was also strong as a character because she never wavered from 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 her character's uh motivation she was always going to be loyal to the throne regardless i love the fact that you mentioned earlier that she didn't waver you know (laughs) unintentionally knowing that t'challa was still king at that point um but these guys were unapologetic about their characters, but I think they were done with purpose and not, they didn't feel throw it like throw it. And I love that. I love the fact that every character in here for the most part, even down to our, even down to, to, um, to our small, you know, our smaller characters, they all felt like they had purpose. And when you couple that with the fact that they are women and the fact that they're people of color, I think that just amplifies it because, your validation is from performance and, and and intent, and then it's kind of your plus one at that point is also we're representing uh, what we need to represent here in a so it, it was almost like a it, it made sense it didn't feel like it was forced. Yeah, something else that didn't feel like it was forced to me with Shuri's character, by the way, and I I do hope that she is a Disney princess at this point. That would be pretty cool. She is I for me. If, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, I love that, you know, my daughter in particular is a, is a, she loves science and she's a, she's all about learning and she's a straight A type student. She's a Shuri. And so for young girls to see someone like that in the Marvel universe that they can look up to, I mean, that's, it's awesome, right? It is incredible. And I, I just, I think she is possibly, I don't know, they're all great additions, but she's maybe the best one for me. But I also love that she, is there's a couple moments with her and they kind of are it's it's how the film treats white folks um and there's only a couple one of them gets killed pretty quick and the other one is uh martin freeman right who's the cia operative um who comes in and shuri makes a fantastic joke um when he first comes in about having to save another or fix another broken white boy which i laughed out loud about and just thought was hilarious and i'm sure it was kind of a a nod to black women dating white men and and kind of having to bring them along and teach them things um and i have a lot of i know a lot of people with those relationships that have joked similarly so i thought that was hilarious but then there's this perfect way in which he is an important part of the team and it's because shori relies on him she needs him to do something she trusts in his ability she gives him a job he is not a white savior 
He does not do it by himself. He is simply a piece of the team. And so going back to that idea of inclusion and being all inclusive, I feel like the film does such a great job of that because it, it puts everybody together, working together to accomplish that goal. And he's not the, the one guy that came in to the African nation and saved Wakanda. No, not by any means. But did he play a part? Absolutely. And I love that about this movie. And I thought that, the, that he was a good inclusion for that reason um, versus maybe not having him there, which to me would have felt slightly ingenuine because that's not realistic. And for me, it's it said to me, hey, look, everyone, we can all work together to accomplish these goals. This isn't this isn't an African-American thing that they need to work on by themselves and that they have to fix by themselves. This is something that the world needs to do together uh, and come together to, to solve problems. So yeah. I don't know. I just really like that. Well, it echoes what you said earlier, Iman, about this idea of the theme of unity being echoed throughout, not only within the Wakandan culture, but within the African and African-American culture within this film, but also within this idea that um, as people, we have to matter to each other. And I think that Kugler and company were really not over overstepping in that message. I think they were saying it to a point of sincerity and that particular set of scenes with with Freeman's character being a part of that and being validated and knowing that that she relied on on him and he was willing to sacrifice himself for for the sake of of that uh, that group of people, I think said a lot about valuing the value of people and how it 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 really echoed that sense of unity that. I think was the central message of this entire film. I agree with all of you guys. <laughs> so does anybody have any problems with this movie? Yep. <laughs> any negatives? We, yep. Did you say yup? Yup. Okay. Well then I'm yep. going to let you uh, fire away. All right. And, and it's a minor one, you know, uh, because, and I, and I try to tell people like, even though I've been hyping up this movie and anticipating it for months, um, I was a little disappointed that, they ended up going with the what I call the mirror villain problem, where basically the villain is like a carbon copy of, you know, the actual hero, except they just have different. He's a golden Black Panther. Yeah, and, and that was the he other thing. He just has a different color costume. That was the other thing. It was like, wait, you couldn't at least give that other suit maybe different abilities? Like, just give the hero something else to, you know, elevate themselves with a different challenge because in the comic books for example um Mbaku right like that that character who I love by the way um he you know would regularly challenge T'Challa and this guy's like 13 feet high or something like he's he's ridiculously over you know size compared to T'Challa and when T'Challa ends up beating him it's such a crazy accomplishment just because you know Mbaku's like a really huge guy so it's like I, I just would have appreciated if they had given you know uh, Killmonger some different set of abilities or maybe even a different suit but just 
you know, we've seen it in so many movies. We've seen it in Iron Man. He's going against another guy in the iron suit. You see it in Doctor Strange. He's going against another guy that's a sorcerer. We've seen it in the Hulk. He's got it's another guy with the Hulk gamma radiation suit. Like, I could go on and on and on. You know, Superman. We see Superman, you know, with going against Zod. And it's like, give us something a little bit different. So that way, you know, that's why I appreciate when uh, uh, Thor and Loki, for example, Loki's not super strong. You know, he like, you know, will outwit you and stuff like that. I like that dynamic or the Joker and Batman, you know, like, yes, Batman could kick his butt every time. But, you know, he's also going to get under his nerves psychologically. So I think that was a missed opportunity more so than anything. Did it derail the film? Absolutely not. But it was something that, you know, kind of stuck out to me as a miss. Yeah, I think for me, it was uh, there wasn't a lot that I didn't like. If anything, some of the battles felt a little too <laughs> Marvel-esque, I guess you could say. Um, one of the things that that I, I look at in Black Panther is how grounded it felt and how connective it is. And it's inevitable that you're going to have a bit, you know, bits and pieces or an an abundance of the Marvel formula kind of sneaking its way in. And there were some battle sequences that felt kind of larger than life and and Marvel-esque, and I kind of wanted them to be toned down. But they were enjoyable. But, you know, when we've gotten used to seeing spectacle from Marvel Studios, you're always wanting to see something different, maybe something a little bit more refreshing. And when we get a nice setup from a story like this, um, I guess subconsciously I wanted the battle sequences – the fight sequences to be a little bit less CG heavy and more more practical. Now there were those things for sure. There was a lot of practical effects and practical choreography, but it, because of those things, seeing some of the the CG elements was like kind of an eye roll for me. Like, okay, yeah, more CG, more big spectacle, and again, it was fine. You know, it's kind of like you're you have a scale of like one to ten, and like nine is what Marvel's hitting as far as their their CG spectacle and, and, and craftiness. And so it was kind of like a, like an eight or a seven. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with it. It was, it was fine, but it was, you know, I, I could have given me more practical. Yeah. I, the CGI was actually a big miss for me. I did not enjoy a lot of it. In fact, a couple of times it did take me out of the film. It didn't, it didn't derail my full experience. Like you said, with what you were talking about, E-Man, but there's there's some pretty bad stuff in there with Black Panther running around and jumping around that I just I just did not like. It reminded me of the Wonder Woman CGI in um, her film. That some of the things that I didn't like about how that was done, it just looked it just I don't know it just looked weird like computer animation like somebody was dragging somebody with a mouse or something across the screen. Are you are you are you referring which. Because I've heard the complaints for CGI as well, and after watching Justice League, I've had a new appreciation for what bad CGI really is. Okay, that and that's different. Yeah, this you is- know what I mean. So it's kind of like <laughs> because the thing is, is that you know, and, and going into a movie like Justice League, everyone knows that we're going into a fantasy superhero movie. There's going to be some CGI in there. Everything can't mm-hmm. look like Avatar. We get that. So there's going to be some level of forgiveness with CGI. Yeah. So, you know, I was just kind of curious, like, were there w- which specific scenes kind of bothered you with the uh, CGI? Um, 
Definitely the car chase. Pretty much everything about the car chase. I, I you know, there was some the way in which he jumped around uh, and was flying, you know, jumping from the car, flipping around. I just kind of didn't enjoy a lot of that. And then him and Killmonger falling down the shaft into the Wakandan facility, fighting in the air. I was just like, man, this looks just like a comic book panel. I mean, it, I mean, sure, it probably was ripped directly from a comic book panel. I could envision it that way, but man, it looked so silly to me um, on a screen. Just, you know, I don't know. I just didn't work. But again, minor. Also, did you did you guys watch it in 3D or, or 2D? Two. I watched mine in 3D. Because I, I heard that the 3D was worse in 3D than in 2D. I saw mine in 2D both times. Yeah, my my experience with the CG, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to CG. There there, it has to be pretty glaring for for it to really bother me. And the the Wonder Woman sequence stands out to me even more so than than Justice League. I didn't notice a lot of the CG issues with Justice League. There was really nothing visually that bothered me from Black Panther. I think, for me, it goes back to having a grounded story, but having to forgive it because it's a comic book movie, and these are superheroes. And so I have to kind of keep that in mind of going, all right, that's cool. And so when you see the car chase scene, or when you see these guys falling infinitely and fighting it's not the believability that bothers me. I think it's the fact that I was like, man, I was just in a scene where this guy was doing hand-to-hand combat, and now I'm seeing you know, all this other stuff. So I think that's where it kind of gets to me. And that's just with my issues with superhero movies in general, uh, whether, it's, whether it's done you know, for whatever. It, it comes down to that really kind of fine balance between practical effects and special effects, practical fighting or practical stunts versus like what you do with CG. Yeah. So my one big complaint about the film in general, uh, overall is at the end, uh, I, I felt like the arrival of the Jabari, as much as I love Mbuku, love him to death. I felt that his showing up when he did, was very much a, a deus ex machina kind of moment uh, in the movie. I did not feel like it was telegraphed in a way that made sense, like, oh, he's going to show up. I mean, when he said, no, he wasn't coming, I believed him when he and T'Challa had that conversation. And it was one of those comic book type things where he appears just in the nick of time. And I didn't like that. So I like him being included. I love his character and I wanted him to be there. But I wish that it would have come a little bit differently. And I think it kind of is also about how that whole battle played out. I just, I didn't, stakes wise with that fight, it was weird for me. I mean, these are tribes that have lived together for years and that are close. And these are friends. And they're just murdering each other left and right. And it didn't feel like that to me at all. So, you know, that was interesting. I mean, like, the only, you know, I was actually trying to pay attention to that um, the second time I was watching it. And uh, by the way, did you guys watch it multiple times or just once? Twice for me. Twice for you. Okay. So, you know, and Aaron, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I was looking at the big climactic battle and everything. And one thing I didn't see too much of, unless you were flying one of those spaceships or whatever, I didn't see very much murder. 
Except for on Killmonger's right. part. Right. It's like, implied. And exactly. You know, but like exactly. everybody would just knock you don't. out. You know, maybe. But then it's out. then it's dumb. You like know. then it's dumb because then you don't believe that they're actually because no, they're like. I don't think it's dumb because of the very reason that you said. These are neighbors. These are people that know each other. They're tribes that have been living together for thousands of years, and you know, like it wouldn't be surprising if somebody were fighting their cousin. You know what I mean? Like it, that wouldn't be that much of a stretch. Like okay, I don't really want to have to kill you. But in the name of Wakanda, I'm going to put you down, you know? So, like, I just thought that was an interesting thing for them to get into. And and you know what? To go to M'Baku. I did notice it, though. Yeah. I mean, for for M'Baku, <laughs> I mean, this is a guy that said, you know, at one point, he will feed you to his children, then says he's a vegetarian. You know? So, it, it wasn't <laughs> that much of a stretch that, like, okay, if he says no, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, he'll flip later. So, I don't know. I, it's fine. I, I can understand where you're coming from with it, but you know, at that yeah. I mean, again, minor stuff. I mean, like yeah. I liked him showing up because I love him. Yeah, and I would say this: this may be an. <laughs> so I'm going to disagree with you, Aaron, but I'm going to agree as well because his showing up made perfect sense. That was telegraphed perfectly, and because you see that in all these movies, I'm not going to show up. I'm not, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he's going to show up. Of course he is. I mean, it was telegraphed from the first challenge when T'Challa is giving him the opportunity to say, Mercy, we've got to live together. I'm like, that's going to come back. That's going to come back. Yeah. And sure enough, it did. That's also what I didn't like because it was telegraphed. And so that's really interesting that you didn't like it because <laughs> partly because it wasn't because it felt like Davis McMachina. I didn't like it really because it was telegraphed because I knew something. These No, these guys aren't going to stay on the sidelines. If they did, that would have been weird. That would have been like, or had they come out and said, you know, did their, I guess you'd call it monkey chant or whatever it was that ape they were doing. Grunting. Ape, ape grunting, which by the way, everybody in the theater was just cracking up every time they did that. And some dude said, that's an ape, man. Like, but if they'd come out and then started just kind of throttling the good guys or the people we were cheering for, that would have surprised me. But I, no, I completely saw that coming and I was like, okay, it's not it's not if it's when and you know and that kind of at the same time it bothered me because i knew it was coming yeah i guess i guess i just felt like when the 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 culmination of the telegraphing to me was him saving t'challa and that was him repaying the debt and so once the debt was repaid i didn't see a need for him to go repay it a second time by showing up to fight the battle well i think that was that went back into T'Challa's, you know, uh, reconciliation that he did with mm -hmm. M'Baku because M'Baku said something pretty important. He was like, look, we've been neighbors for thousands of years and all that, but no king from Uganda has ever set foot here, which means that they've had some diplomatic issues, some diplomacy issues, right, um, with their relations. So T'Challa, you know, he was like, hey, look, I can't speak for them, but I know moving forward, we're allies. You know, I got your back. So I think that that show of, you know, camaraderie, um, despite all the things that they've been through, I think that was enough to really motivate M'Baku to, uh, to have a change of heart. Nice. Well, I know I want, we got to get on to our connecting points. But before we do that, I wanted to give a chance to just talk a minute about Wakanda in general 
this this creation of a fictional place and this African Asgard. I mean, E-Man, I've seen on social media, you're trying to find like plane tickets to Wakanda. I've been so, on hold for like two days <laughs> and it's getting a little ridiculous. I'm going to ask for a supervisor. Um, the tribal way, the different tribes. And I mean, I just the color, everything about this film and the way that it was created to me is incredible. The music is perfect. I love the drums in the background. You know, one of the things that I noticed, and it was an awesome moment for me walking out of the film, I always ask my kids, you know, give me your highlights. What's the first thing that you think of? And my daughter said something that I had written down in my own notes. And that was, oh, I thought it was really cool that they switched the style of music depending on what character was in the screen. So when Okoye is fighting in the casino, it shifts to a, an African kind of music with, with a lot of drum work going on. But then when you go back to the, the base floor with Claw fighting and, and T'Challa down there, you get back to the Kendrick Lamar hip hop music and it just transitions back and forth constantly throughout the film, depending on who's there. And I loved that aspect of it that was very intentional if you guys get a chance check out that vanity fair video uh with ryan coogler he just did this you know it's like called notes on directing or something and basically he just walked through um frame by frame uh during the casino fight scene and he talked about that very aspect of the of the music where they intentionally added um it's this tribe of women um who make this chant you know and i can't replicate the chant at this point but every time okoye was on the screen they wanted that it was basically a tribe that was uh inspired uh that inspired the dora milaje like that's that's where it came from so all of that was super intentional um, so cool and and very commendable on kugler's part yeah so very cool um, did you guys love? Did you love the depiction of Wakanda in general? Did it did it match up the comic books? I think so. Um, I think I think the important thing with Wakanda um, is that it's not like Asgard, right? I mean, Asgard's cool and everything. Don't get me wrong, but it has a special meaning, and this is why, like, you see all these jokes about like you know getting your plane ticket and trying to move over and all that. Um, I think what Wakanda does is it represents this visualization. It, 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 it's a representation of like a dream of what the world would look like if slavery, colonization, racism never really took hold and allowed a culture to just develop, you know, so not only does it seem like a cool place to visit, but it also looks like one of those places for African-Americans, I would say, that we could go and actually find our identities again. Because that's always been like a very longing issue um, within African-American culture is that, you know, hey, I mean, I'm Haitian. You know, my parents are of Haitian descent. So even though I've never been to Haiti, um, I at least can say that i have that but even then you know haitians still were slaves that were taken from africa so 
I have no idea what African tribe that I belong to or, you know, where I descended from or anything like that. So that that longing for identity and for a home, you know, that's what is so appealing, I would say, from Wakanda. Not to mention the fact that they're, you know, really cool with technology, medicine and everything else. So, um, but yeah, man, Wakanda is a beautiful place. I really do wish it was real. Can I ask you a quick question to to, to go off of that? Sure. And, and this may be com- this is completely non movie related, but mm-hmm. it's something that I'm very curious about. Yeah, I and maybe this is a personal thing, but I've never considered much about where my heritage is from. I don't I don't think of myself as you know my ancestors came over as immigrants from England or Ireland. I I know that because I've I've know the history, but I've never really thought about that much. Do, do you th- do you think it's because of the way in which African Americans arrived in this country through slavery? Oh yeah, that is what makes it so important. Oh, for absolutely. you, identity wise. I mean, versus identifying as just an American. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you have to think of it like this, right? So, like, you know, nine times out of ten, like your ancestors, everybody is like migrated here, like immigrated here by choice, right? So there's there's this sense of like if I'm moving over i can choose to either keep my russian or german or irish past or embrace this brand new world but if it's been ripped away from you stolen away you have no idea what you know is going on like that's different it it kind of reminds me of like you know uh, um what happens when you're adopted you know Yes, you could be brought into a new situation. Maybe you're raised in foster care and that's not a good situation for you. Maybe you're adopted by some really loving parents. Maybe that's okay. But at the end of the day, you still just want to know. You still have that longing for like, wait, where did I come from? What is, you know, that those those big questions in life? And um, I think that when that choice has been taken away from you, the longing is a lot more compared to, you know, like if I, if you wanted to, I mean, could you trace your roots? Just. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't. And, and you, and you can't. I can't. Right. You know, that sucks. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, it sucks does. that I have to, you know, cling on to a fictional African country that doesn't exist um, because I can't go ask my mom and dad, like, hey, besides Haiti, where did we come from? You know, that. Yeah. Trail kind of stops after 1775. So, thank you. I appreciate sure, that. Absolutely. Yeah. I look at I look at Wakanda, and I, I was incredibly surprised at how viscerally I connected with it and with the cinematography in general. I'm I'm not from a filmmaking from a film standpoint. I'm not a guy who loves fantasy. I don't necessarily like. There's a there's a new series coming out on sci-fi uh, dealing with Krypton. I mean, I mean, come on. You're talking about Superman's home planet. But but I but I don't I don't have an interest in it because well multiple reasons but one being I'm just the cinematography and the landscape of Krypton just don't appeal to me I don't like this I wasn't I've never really been into space operas and things like that and so it I I I knew it was going to take a little bit for me to get used to this world now look I'm a white kid from Arkansas but I have. I have an I have this this heart for the dark continent. I've had a chance to go over several times uh, on mission and be able to interact 
with folks from from different countries in South Africa, Zambia, things like that. And I've loved it. If I ever get an opportunity to go overseas and, and Africa's on the table, I'm probably going to venture that way because there's so much about the continent uh, that I just have fallen in love with. The diverse culture, even within this particular countries like Zambia and Malawi, seeing these various people groups that are working a lot like these you know, four or five tribes. They live in this one area, but they are working in community and living in community, even though they have different dialects, even though they have different cultural ideals, they have a common ground, uh, not only because of where they live, but because of what they are living for in, in certain ways. And so that was really something that really caused my connecting point to, to be what it was. And for me, it was that first challenge that T'Challa made. Because this was this was the investment. This was the believability and world building that I needed to really be all in on a movie that I didn't know a lot about. You know, I never read the comics growing up. And so my my entrance into the world of Wakanda and the world of Black Panther was this. It was touched on in Civil War, but that's I mean, whatever, that's not it. I mean the real meat and potatoes of what T'Challa's world is was this. And I think it was really personified in this scene because what we got was these five tribes that were completely different looking from each other and intentionally so and we see so much colorful beauty among all these types of tribes and they're there for one reason for two things they're there to initiate and they're there to endorse and they're there to challenge and I love the particular moment that I love is when we're going around to the individual tribes and they're like, this tribe, we choose not to challenge this tribe, we choose not to challenge. And then we get to the last tribe and we get to that confrontation. And so we have this, uh, we have this moment that, I mean, as an audience, we're not dumb. We know T'Challa is going to win, but that whole scene and that whole confrontation sets up what I think is the biggest idea in the movie is that we have got to come together and we've got to find common ground. What that is, we don't know at that point. But by the time the second confrontation comes around, the second challenge hits us, that's when we really start to take in the value of what it means to be unified, even among our differences. For this movie, it was within the Wakandan culture. But for us as an audience, it really comes down to how we see each other around the world, around the country, around our neighborhoods, and how we connect in a way that betters the lives, betters the culture that we live in. And I'm I'm more than pleasantly surprised that it was the cinematography and the world building that did it for me because I didn't expect it. But that's what really resonated with me and what I take away visually is not just the beauty of Wakanda and the sense of of like ruralness mixed in with crazy great technology but because of what it represents so when i when i see that played out in that first challenge to me that's where i connected the most and what really set me up in my enjoyment for the rest of the movie that's awesome i love that choice man and i i wish that <laughs> i wish that i had as much to say about mine uh that is in depth and thoughtful as that I, you know, my connecting point uh, goes back to something I mentioned briefly earlier, um, and that's because it is Eric's trip home 
in the ancestral plane, where after Killmonger has thought thoughtfully killed T'Challa, and he is taking his place as the Black Panther. And I love how this scene plays out because it takes him to somewhere completely different. He doesn't go to the Lion King-like savanna that we get when T'Challa goes to visit T'Chaka and the kings of old. He goes back to that apartment where his dad died and where he grew up. And the moment when he's talking to his father, um, Iman, you brought this up as our in our discussion about what he says. He says, no hug. And just the performance in this moment, the brokenness that we see in Eric, this is where I really began to buy into that empathy for him. This is where I began to care for him was because I saw it in his face. I saw the tears come down his eyes. And at the same time, that happened right after I saw him discovering Wakanda and being mesmerized and, and excited about it, you know, and his dad promising to take him there. And it made me think about that cycle that I mentioned earlier, that that fatherless kids um, and so many children out there that, that don't have appropriate adult love in their lives. And that's heartbreaking to me. Um, I see it all the time working at a YMCA. Uh, we work very, very hard to create an environment for kids to come to that don't have the, these relationships somewhere else, uh, a place where an Eric can come and spend his time playing basketball uh, and be safe and engage and, and know that there are people that, that love him and care for him and are going to look out for him and provide scholarships, right, to take him to give him a place to go after school so they can be uh, away from trouble. And so all of that kind of came crushing in on me when I watched this scene play out. And so, yeah, for me, it was really that moment of, of him going to the plane and then coming out of it furious and, and not, unfortunately, not changed for the better, um, but more enraged and moving forward with his plans. So... Yeah, that was that was it for me. What about you, Eman? Um, I I want to say it might have been uh, T'Challa's uh, second vision, where he reuni reunites with his father again, um, and and you know he questions his dad about like you know why did you leave the boy and you know why did you do this and do that, and I I, I like the maturation process that he goes through um because all of that stuff feeds into his level of wisdom you know that he really carries and that's more so me just being biased because you know as a comic fan in the comic books like t'challa like that's his <clears throat> thing the way tony stark is as smart with the, you know whatever with technology T'Challa is that wise, like he is that guy, and I really like that they display that. But more importantly, I like the um, the fact that they really emphasized how you know we don't have to do things that the past you know laid out for us. Like we don't have to walk in the footsteps of our fathers. You know, um, not to mention our fathers have made mistakes, and we can put it on ourselves to rectify all of that you know and and i really liked how he you know took that burden on 
you know, and and you see that in how he's repairing the diplomatic relations with uh, uh, Mbaku, um, how he tried to reach out to Killmonger, you know, and and kind of extend that olive branch and um, and you know opening up Wakanda to the entire world, you know, like all of these things that he's doing, um, and he's doing it as a result of learning through failure. You know, whether it be his own failure or his father's failure or, or what have you. Um, but that, to me, you know, that really that really resonated. I, I really like that. That's awesome. I'm glad it ended on that because I feel like it's so easy to get to, to get lost for T'Challa in this movie. You mentioned it earlier how there were moments where the female cast and the supporting cast in general and the villain is so awesome in Michael B. Jordan that the the named title character uh, can just, you know, almost not be on screen for big chunks at a time and you don't even think about it. So I love that you brought it back around to his importance. Um, and this is his movie and he is kingly and he does exhibit so many great qualities of diplomacy and and mercy. Um, and he's he's someone that we should all like aspire to to be like and look look up to. My almost my connecting point was almost the UN scene, Patrick. Like I was going to be the first ever connecting point that was a post credit scene because I really thought it was that powerful. <laughs> but it, it's so and good. So, and, I love uh, it. So and it's so frustrating too. It shouldn't be a post credit scene. I've heard so many people say, "Man, that was so powerful." I'm like, "Well, put it in the movie. Don't put it at the end of the credits." I mean, you know, you're going to stick around, but. In credit scenes are supposed to be like Easter eggs and fun stuff and not like, uh frustrates. Well, before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance, E-Man. You mentioned something about um, predictions. Predictions. So have you got some? Do you want to, do you want to share some predictions for, for Black Panther 2 oh, and the future here? Um, predictions. I don't know about predictions. I mean, I know what I want, <laughs> you know, in a Okay, what do, you, what do you want? Um, well, I will say... There are five things that I want, but I'll give you guys just a couple because I'm going to make a video about those five things. So tune Perfect. in. Perfect. People can come find oh, out. Oh, yeah, the they can find out the, love the good, juicy stuff. But, I mean, just on a minor level, um, we definitely need – I think that now that we've gotten over – actually, I'll give you guys two of them. One thing that I really want is more kingly decisions because now the stakes are a little bit higher He's opened up Wakanda. He's walking in uncharted territory. Obviously, there are going to be Wakandans that are like, what are you doing? And then now you're going to also have to deal with the outside world who, you know, brings their own level of issues because you're going to be more exposed to thieves and to corruption and to abuse and mistrust and all these different things. And I really want to see how uh, um, T'Challa traverses those uh, issues throughout the next films and you know just on a more minor level um i really want to see them uh you know really get back into the actual action and fighting i mean he's like one of the best marvel fighters period like in the top five of all marvel fighters so it, it's it's we saw a glimpse of that in civil war because he does have his own unique fighting style and I think they kind of, you know, took away from it a little bit here. So now that we got all the family drama and political stuff kind of out the way in the solo movie, I think we can kind of expand it a little bit, just like Captain America did, you know, where, okay, we in a solo movie, it was all about him, 1920s, okay, that's fine. 
well, now the stakes are bigger. It's better. You know, give me an elevator scene, hallway scene, whatever you want. A little bit more action, you know. So that's what I like. I got to say, I think his suit has probably become my favorite in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's so awesome. It's so, and, and it wouldn't, I mean, it, it's it's coupled with that whole sequence where, uh, where is it, uh, gosh, Yuri, uh, Churi, uh, Shuri. thank you, sorry, Shuri. apologies, uh, where she's getting him set up with that. It wouldn't have been as cool had we not seen that, that, that set up scene. So Delete fast. that footage. Delete that footage. <laughs> but yeah, it's a fantastic suit, and, and his fighting skills complement it really well. Let me, let me just point one thing out because I don't think anyone's really looking at this. And it's funny because I only noticed this because I was using some of the GIFs in uh, Facebook. And once I started doing it, I was like, wait a minute. I'm starting to see a similarity here. I really dislike the fact that um, Black Panther's kinetic energy you know, ability is almost identical to Wonder Woman. I mean – just the whole like clanking of the bracelets or whatever. Now the only difference though is I think Black Panther's ability is explained way better because I think Wonder Woman uh, Patty Jenkins had said like that whole explosion is like an explosion of her love or something like that, and I was just like, what? <laughs> like this is the... <laughs> what? Like I would I would have been fine if you had just said it's the power of the gods or something. Like you could have just been generic, you know, but. <laughs> so anyway, I hope that at least for Black Panther, they give him something a little bit different that doesn't look exactly like Wonder Woman. Because if you look at the footage, it's kind of crazy how similar they really are. Uh, Power of love. Well, speaking of of your upcoming video and the rest of your um your rest of your answers for what you would like to see in Black Panther two and future films. Why don't you tell everybody where they can hit you up online, where they can see your awesome videos and the content that you put out uh, very frequently? Absolutely, yes. So, um, by all means, please go to uh, on Facebook, E Man, just like He Man without the H. Uh, movie reviews. Um, you can absolutely find every single thing I post there, um, or you can come and visit me on YouTube, uh, E Man's movie reviews, where I am going to give. A very compelling argument. I'm going to tease this one more time for you. I'm going to give five reasons why, five arguments, I should say, why Black Panther is the greatest superhero movie we've ever seen. And that is in comparison to Captain America 2, Winter Soldier, and The Dark Knight. And Ant-Man. That was not on the list, but I'll throw it in now. (laughs) So it is going to be a very interesting video. (laughs) <laughs> I know there's going to be a lot of arguments about it. That's not my concern. My concern is just to present the side for Black Panther. <laughs> and uh, stay tuned because I think you'll, I, I think it'll, it'll get some people interested. It, it's going to be a good one. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. That's for sure. Patrick, where can people find you? Yeah, check me out on Facebook and Twitter at Shoeless Patch. S H O E L E S S P A T C H. Best way to get a hold of me is to tag me, at me, whatever it means. Just uh, put my name in any kind of message if you want to talk about this movie or anything else that we have covered or stuff that we haven't covered that might be interesting to you. I'd just love to uh, converse with you in some way, shape, or form. But you can find me at those two places. And I'm hanging out there at least once a week, putting up the poll question. So (laughs) you can find me at least there, here and there. 
Awesome. And uh, we've got some great stuff coming down the pipe. We've got next week we'll have, or later this week, I guess, we will be releasing our February donor pick episode on Crazy Stupid Love. So we're excited about that one. We also will be putting out at the the next week, it'll be another film in a theater, one that Patrick and I have both been very excited for and looking forward to, and that is Annihilation, uh, the new Alex Garland film. E-Man, you're actually a huge sci-fi guy as well. I think you did Ex Machina with yes, us. Yes, man. It, so, I can't wait for this yeah. one. It's going to be yeah, good. Yeah, you don't even get more than a week to, to, to just linger in the Black Panther love before another expected... I know. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a good February for you. When are you guys going... Um, Next next Sunday, we're covering it next week. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, when are we going to see yeah. it? I'm seeing it on Wednesday. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's around the yeah. time. Okay. And then, in addition to Annihilation dropping this weekend, holy cow, we're not covering this one. Uh, we don't have time, unfortunately, right away. But Mute is also releasing on Netflix this Friday. That's Duncan Jones's new sci-fi film. So, I mean, holy moly. Uh, February used to be kind of a dumping ground along with January for film. That is no longer the case. We are getting some awesome ones here in the last couple of weeks. For those who are uh, new to feeling film as listeners um, or who are not in our Facebook group, we encourage you to go join the Facebook group. It is continuing, continuing to grow every single week. The discussions are awesome. And that is where you will find the link to vote in the 2018 Feelers Choice Awards, which are currently posted. The ballot is out. We'll keep that up for a couple more weeks leading up to the Oscars. And then we'll, we'll have an episode where we discuss the Oscar winners as well as the Feelers Choice Award winners, which based on the nominations are going to be very different <laughs> from the Oscars. So you will find a lot of Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, a lot of Baby Driver, and some other non-Oscary films in our nominations so we hope you'll come check those out because only our members of our facebook group can vote if you'd like to continue the conversation with me you can do that at aaron l white a-a-r-o-n-e-l-w-h-i-t-e on twitter facebook instagram etc i'm also tweeting from the feeling film twitter account um, until next time everybody thank you so much for listening we hope you've enjoyed this please go check out all of e-man's content it's fantastic stay positive and keep feeling film Wakanda forever. forever.